the crucial thing is not to jump from stage one where you've defined your ultimate goal and straight into measuring because you'll potentially be measuring the wrong things in the wrong way. Welcome to the Impact Diaries, where Heidi Fisher gives real-life examples of the five-stage lean social impact approach in action. Stage two of the lean approach is planning, and in this episode, Heidi highlights the need to be flexible when capturing data, why it's important not to rely on surveys all the time, some interactive ways to capture data, and why it's vital to focus on measuring a small number of key outcomes. Committing properly to this planning stage helps Heidi's client, who works with young people with special educational needs, to enter the measurement stage really effectively, as she'll explain in this episode of The Impact Diaries with Heidi Fisher. Here's Heidi now. It's episode two of The Impact Diaries with Heidi Fisher. And I'm really interested in this one because so many organisations use questionnaires as a key part of their approach to capturing data, but questionnaires are not always fit for purpose. Heidi, we're here talking about impact in your five-stage lean impact approach. We're talking about stage two, planning, and you've got a really specific example of working with an organization where questionnaires would not have been the best thing to do. What's the organization that we're talking about today, first of all? Hi, Jamie. So the organization is an organization that works with young people with special educational needs, and it helps to provide them with employability skills and work experience. Now, most of the young people that they work with have very limited communication skills um, in terms of they struggle with orally communicating what they are trying to express. They also have difficulty with a lot of writing and reading. So surveys definitely wouldn't work in this situation. Right. That demonstrates why it's important to be able to capture data in flexible ways, in in different ways, not not rely on surveys all the time. So what other ways are there that folk can use to capture appropriate data? And how did you do that in this particular case? I'll just talk through a number of ways in which you, you could potentially capture data that doesn't involve surveys. And then I'll talk about specifically what we did in this situation with the young people. If you are running workshops or events, they are great opportunities to capture data. So my rule is always if you've got people in a room with you, whether that's physically or virtually, don't let them leave until you've got some data from them. (laughs) (laughs) Because you're not leaving the room. (laughs) Yeah, because once they leave the room, it it becomes much harder to, to capture data. From them so we want to get as much as possible while we've physically got the person there and they're engaged in whatever they're doing with you if you like a lot of organizations do hand out your survey at the very end of your session as people are putting their coats on and packing up what what do most people do at that point they walk off with the paper survey in their hand promising to fill it in and bring it back next time <laughs> and you never get it back because 
see. <laughs> no, no. How, what how we do you want, address that? <laughs> so what we want to do is, if at all possible, build it into the session. So at certain points in that event or workshop, encourage people to give feedback or to answer specific questions. So there are now a lot of um, online polls and things that you can use that link to PowerPoint and other um, online things that you might use where people click on a link and they go through and answer specific questions and that can give you live event data if you wanted to do that before break and then people come back and they can see the, the results of that that particular question you can also people can download the apps so that takes a little bit of planning and that you need to make sure people have the app on their phone and they can do the the responses into the app on their phone and that all feeds into your automated system for for capturing feedback on on the event or workshop that you're running so they're great ways to use technology yeah. If you're using something like Zoom, don't forget you've got polls on there that you can use. And also there's an interactive whiteboard that you could get people to write comments on if you're just looking for feedback. You can also um, ask people to answer things within the chat and just save the chat. So you've got that um, as evidence. But if you physically face to face with somebody, which hopefully will, will be able to do soon in terms of uh, small groups or even larger events then a number of things that you could use that are much more interactive that don't involve people having to write things or to answer questions in the same way as they would in terms of being able to read things so one of the simplest ones with children is um, to have baskets and to put smiley faces on the outside of the baskets and they throw a ball or a beanbag into the basket for how they feel in terms of their current feelings get them to do that at the beginning of the session and then at the end of the session and you can see what difference there is in terms of their their feelings hopefully they've improved through the session and you would have that as evidence of that another one is just using counters and people putting them into a, a pot or a tub for how they're feeling about a particular activity or mm. ranking something on a scale of one to five so if you want people to say how confident do you feel about doing something perhaps how confident do you feel about attending an interview have tubs with one to five on them give each person a counter and get them to chuck it in whichever number they they feel and then get them to do that again after you've delivered the interview techniques training or whatever it is that you're doing with them right and, yes and you can then count up the average change in scores obviously with these kind of things they they're based on averages and um the overall change for a group you wouldn't be able to track individuals unless you perhaps put numbers on the counters and then you you knew who had which number for each counter you can um if you've got um particular characteristics that you want to track and measure you might give a particular colored counter to people of a certain age group and a different age group have a different counter and see if there are differences in terms of the the changes that they're identifying through what you're delivering obviously smiley faces are, are great in terms of getting people to 
to circle or identify with particular smiley faces for particular questions. Yes. The one I love and use quite a lot is the, the brick wall. So every person gets a piece of card shaped like a brick and they get to write some feedback or comments on that. And that gets stuck on a, a larger brick wall on, on the wall so that all of the feedback and comments can be collated together. The, the washing line and pegs, I use this in my um, impact measurement workshops. Yes. <laughs> um, so it's basically a piece of string with the numbers 1 to 10 on it and everyone gets a, a particular coloured peg at the beginning of the session and they're asked to say how much they know about impact measurement on a scale of 1 to 10 and then they do it again at the end of the session with a different coloured peg and I can see what the, the change is in terms of the scores. Oh right so the position of the peg along the washing line yeah. is that yeah right. Yeah and um, I, d- I call it a washing line now as opposed to a piece of string because somebody actually thought that I'd it was a washing line and um, with pegs on it. <laughs> I thought, well, why, why not start calling it that? <laughs> Brilliant. Excellent. Yeah. Well, it was a big question and that's a big answer. And, and, mm-hmm. and I'm going to ask you about specifics of the organisation that we mentioned earlier in a moment. But some really imaginative and flexible ideas there that you can use, that you obviously use within workshops, within events and so on to, to get responses in a so much more imaginative and fun way and participative way than simply sort of filling in a questionnaire. I love the examples that you've mentioned there, Heidi. Do you find that people are ever self-conscious about participating in some of these sort of physical activities? I, th- I think where where people are self-conscious is where they can be identified. So you, you may have had to do it before yourself, but I've, I've certainly had to do it where I've had to put myself in a line with other people to say how I felt about a particular thing. And you, you can look along the line and see, you know, who, who's putting themselves as a one and who's put themselves as a 10, which is why things like using pegs, balls and and various other items no no one knows that that's your peg yes absolutely <laughs> so, so it, it's it's avoiding that issue where I can say oh well Jamie's put himself as a three oh I'm I'm a five I'm I'm yep. better <laughs> that kind of attitude or oh I'm I'm a one everyone else has put themselves as a six what's wrong with me yeah. those kind of thoughts you don't have to have them because nobody knows that that's you it's got its advantages in that respect but then it's also there's a a disadvantage in that whoever's running that session can't necessarily identify that there are certain people that perhaps need more help or support um but assuming they're running that that session effectively they should pick up on that through that session anyway Yes. And you've mentioned several ways where you can measure the sort of distance travelled by the group, by individuals within the group. You also mentioned qualitative feedback or comments, if you like. You said you love the brick wall exercise. You have a cardboard brick and people write on that and then you fix that to the wall you and, and you put all the bricks together how does that work you would ask a specific question and get people to write a response to that so it's quite useful if you're trying to identify what the the problems are or issues are that you want to work on as a community group it's also quite useful to for people to feedback 
what what they've got out of the session or what two actions they're going to take as a consequence of, of what they've learned today. So it, it can be used in quite a, a range of different ways, depending on what question you, you ask them to, to think of when they're filling in that brick. Super. We led into this discussion about flexible approaches to capturing data by talking about how questionnaires can really not always be the most appropriate way to to capture data. And we talked about you working with a client and that client works with young people with special educational needs to provide them with work experience and with employability skills. So when you're working with that client and when you're in this sort of planning stage and you needed to capture data, what did you do? First off, once we've identified the the key outcomes and our, our key stakeholders and what the key outcomes are for them, we the, the conversation then moves to what's the, the best way to capture that evidence and proof that those outcomes have, have been achieved. And that then we start to think about how realistic it is it that we would be able to get the data from the various stakeholders if we just asked them to fill in surveys and in a lot of cases it, it isn't realistic so in this example where we're talking about young people with um, special educational needs it just wasn't going to be possible to give them a survey because their comprehension of the questions would have been very limited. The way I looked at this was if we can't get surveys what what's the next best option and that that's always the, the way that I approach it and you know I'm not saying that necessarily the other things wouldn't be good in terms of the the types of data sources, but if you can get a survey done very quickly and easily, it's from a, a time perspective, it's it's easier to do um, in a lot of cases. But in this situation, it was really about how can we capture information that will will give us enough proof without making it so difficult for the young people that they didn't know what they were being asked to do so from that perspective we we agreed that actually it would be beneficial to get evidence from a number of different sources rather than just trying to have conversations with the young people and or trying to get information from them so as well as the the teachers talking to the young people and and finding out what they'd thought about their um, employability workshops and the the work experience that they'd done we also spoke to parents and teachers to see if they had noticed any changes in the young people right so it's um it's a multi-stakeholder approach of course in terms of talking to people and gathering that data yeah and the the other thing we also did was with the work experience providers we made sure that they were willing to be interviewed and to talk about the experience that the young person had gone through in in that work experience period so um, the the work had already been done prior to when I came in to to talk to them about impact in in terms of selecting work experience providers that understood that they were were going to have young people with with additional needs and additional support requirements so they were more understanding employers so to speak in that they were much more open to the fact that they would would need to perhaps have somebody that that worked alongside the young person 
all the time that the young person was there and then encourage them to do some small activities independently so they were were very willing to to be interviewed and to feedback on on what that experience had been like from their perspective and what they'd also noted noticed in terms of changes in in the young person's confidence and um how they were were um, taking on tasks and doing activities. Now, some folk listening to my, this might be thinking that, that there's a an overlap here between stages two and stages three of your lean impact approach between planning and, and measurement. Is is that the case? Is 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 that perception correct or not? For me, I see them as very distinct stages. The planning is is planning how you do the measurement, and stage three is physically doing the measurement the planning is fundamental because people often want to jump straight from okay we've defined our ultimate goal let's go out and measure something and they they don't go through this planning process and that's when you you automatically jump to asking the wrong questions and using a, a survey um which perhaps isn't appropriate. So by going through the planning stage in real detail, making sure you understand exactly what you want to measure and how you're going to measure it and what types of information you're capturing alongside that, that it makes sure that when you get to do the physical measuring, you know that it's got a better chance of being successful. Okay, Heidi, so we've talked about why planning is so absolutely critically important, why this stage is so vital. We've talked about a specific example of how you helped your client working with young people with special educational needs to plan what data they would capture and to do so in a thoughtful and appropriate and flexible way. Is there anything else that we need to flag up when it comes to the planning stage of your five-stage lean social impact approach yes in the planning stage the the crucial thing is to be very focused so this is is not something that we've mentioned so far in this podcast but to to kind of finish off it is to make sure that you you're not trying to measure every single outcome that you've identified it's about being very focused and in my lean social impact approach I recommend to people that they focus on trying to measure just two key outcomes rather than than trying to measure 15 outcomes um, which means immediately you need at least 15 questions to track those or 15 ways of capturing data so it's about being very focused measuring the the key things that matter to your key stakeholder groups rather than trying to capture for everybody and to capture everything you need to plan how you will focus on the priority outcomes that you want to measure Definitely, definitely. Okay, super. Heidi, this has been fascinating. Really interesting to hear about this concrete approach to planning, part of the five-stage lean social impact approach. And of course, you have your book on impact measurement and management coming out in autumn this year, 2020. Tell us more about the book. So the the book is going to take you through the, the process of measuring and managing your impact and we'll talk about the the lean social impact approach that I use, as well as all of the the techniques and outcomes and how you might measure them. So filled with loads and loads of information that's 
all been sat in my head up until now. Great stuff. At the moment, um, you can pre-order the limited edition hardback version. Heidi, thanks so much. And um, until next time, thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Make an Impact podcast with me, Heidi Fisher. Before you go, a quick announcement. Heidi's second book, Impact First, The Social Entrepreneur's Guide to Measuring, Managing and Growing Your Impact will be published soon. And you can pre-order a limited edition hardback version of the book through Heidi's website. The book gives you the know-how to measure, manage and communicate your impact so that you can grow your social enterprise. Go to makeanimpactcic.co.uk forward slash my dash book dash impact dash first to find details if you've enjoyed the podcast why not leave a review or rating and if you'd like to be on the show then please get in touch via my website makeanimpactcic.co.uk thank you for listening